Bibles, and I hope you do. Turn with me to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 1. We're looking at 2 Kings chapter 1. We're going to talk about transitions this morning. Transitions. And as I was thinking about that, it's just I just started thinking about, you know, well, what kind of transitions do we go through? And really, all of life is transitions. I was thinking about, you know, we, we start life. It's a transition out of the womb into this world. Is that right, Jim and Tammy? Did we have a little transition this week? Yeah, major transition with uh, Sarah and Anthony. And just think of it. That's a big transition. D- our death, our lives end with a transition. We go from this life to the life to come, not to extinction. Uh, and then in between that birth, that birth transition and that death transition is a life full of transitions. I just started thinking about that just in my own life as you think about going off to school and then each grade and going to middle school. That was a wonderful transition. And then going into high school and then getting married, all these different things, you know, getting your new house is a transition. Is that true over there? Yes. Yeah. Is that true? Is that a pretty big transition? Yeah, yeah, that was a big transition. They moved into their first new house. Is that cool? Are we excited for them? Yeah, that's exciting. Transitions. Transitions. You may have just come out of transition. You may be in the middle of a transition. Probably every single person in this class is in some sort of transition. Now, some we choose and we look forward to. Some we don't choose. God allows and orchestrates. And those are some. Some are a transition to a better circumstance. Sometimes it's to a more difficult one. But through it all, there's lessons to be learned. Now, at the top of your notes, we're going to go through 2 Kings 1 through 3 to wrap this up. But these hard wrath passages, here's what we're going to do. We're going to end our study of Elijah with 2 Kings chapter 2. So we'll do half of it this week and half of it next because there's another hard wrath passage in 2 Kings 2, perhaps maybe the hardest one in all the Old Testament. And I do want us to take time to work through that. And so look in your Bibles. Let's, let's, so we're, we're at 2 Kings 2, and we're going to see that the Lord's prophet is loyal but not sinless. The focus is going to be on Elijah and the transition to Elisha. And so let's look at 2 Kings chapter 2, look at verse 1, to get an idea of what this whole chapter is about. Look at verse 1. And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now, everything, that just kind of sets the tone for everything, and it kind of says it in a nonchalant way. Yeah, okay, uh, Elijah is going to be taken up to heaven. Well, you know, that's pretty radical because there's only one other guy that had that experience, and that was Enoch way back in the book of Genesis. Elijah is going to be the only, the, only the second guy to ever be taken up and to not have to go through the transition of physically dying. Now, everything's going to flow from that. In fact, as we read through this chapter, we see the words take up and take away. Uh, It talks of, sometimes that's called the translation, taken up. Uh, We're more familiar maybe calling it a rapture, the catching up, the, the taking up directly into heaven without having to die. 
And so, notice, it says that in verse 1, and then in verse 11, in the middle of the chapter, turn there, then it came about, as they were going along, that is, Elijah and Shah, along, walking along and talking, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. The glory of God symbolized as chariot of fire and horses of fire, separates the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind, a a tornado, a gale force wind and storm into heaven. So that's kind of sets this whole chapter. And typically, maybe the focus is always on that. You know, wow, that was so elaborate. That was so wild. But There's so much more in this chapter than merely that. So here's what we want to do. We're going to look at two facts about Elijah's translation and three uh, three truths about the transition from Elijah to Elisha. And so we'll look at the two facts today and two of the three truths and then uh, finish it up next week. So let's, let's begin and get into the story, two facts about Elijah's translation, his taking up. Here's the first fact. It was a time of tension for God's people. It was a time of tension for God's people. Why is that? Because Elijah, who symbolized and embodied the Word of God, he was leaving. And so what did that mean for God's people? Elijah was the man of God who represented the Word of God as the prophet of God, and he was leaving. So let's read uh, verses 2 through 10 and see kind of the tension. See if you can feel the emotional impact. Elijah, verse 2, said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, he swears an oath to the living God. As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Verse 3. Then the sons of the prophets. These guys were kind of like Bible college students. They were like prophets in training. The sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elijah and said to him, Do you know? that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Be still. Be quiet. Calm down. Verse 4, Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho, so these seminaries, these schools were located in these cities. So the sons of the prophets at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be still. Stop. Calm. Don't panic. Verse 6. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now, fifty men 
of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now, I want to stop right here and take note in your Bible, 50 men. We just read about 52 groups of 50, or actually three groups of 50 men in chapter 1. Okay, remember the the king Ahaziah sent out 50 soldiers in three groups. So here it's now prophets in a group of 50. And they're standing at a distance and they're observing these two as they stand by the Jordan. Verse 8, Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters and they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Now it came about when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am, and there's our words, taken from you. And Elijah said, please let a double portion, a double blessing, a double inheritance of your spirit be upon me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. I think he's kind of saying, I don't think you know what my job is really like. You, you may be asking more than what you think. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, there's the word again, it shall be so. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it came about that as they were going along and as they were talking, that behold, and remember that behold indicates God is about to intervene, right? God is about to do something. There appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire which separated the two, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Now, here's the fact. You, you should pick up on that. This was a time of tension for God's people. Why? Because Elijah was going up. Elijah was going up. And here's the question. If Elijah leaves, is God going to leave? If Elijah goes up, will the word of God go up? You know, what are we going to be? This guy embodied. The last time this guy left for three and a half years, we had drought. Now God's taken him up. Are we all forsaken? You see, there is tension in the air. You need to see that. Elijah takes a farewell tour that is a reversal of the conquest of Joshua in Israel. So he's like the eagles, okay? He's on a farewell tour, except he's not going to have two or three of them. This is going to be the only one. He's taken a farewell tour, but he's going, and geography is so key uh, in this story on your back page In fact, I gave you a map of all of Elijah's travels. I so enjoyed putting this together for you because as we just reviewed our entire series, this guy did a lot, a lot of walking, okay? Look at that. But the shaded area is the part that is focused on in this chapter. And there's like four different Gilgals, okay? The Gilgal that we're used to is the one that is right on the Jordan River, but I don't think that's the Gilgal. It's a Gilgal, as you can see in that shaded area, that's between Samaria and Bethel. And so he's taking this farewell tour with Elijah at his side. And they're going there from Gilgal to Bethel, down to Jericho, to the side of the Jordan River, and then they cross over to the other side. And what I want you to see here is this. It's like a reversal of the conquest. 
And it's a foreshadowing. Listen to me. It's a foreshadowing. Elijah, God is telling these people, if you remain in your apostasy, I am going to reverse the conquest and you are going into exile. You are going, and that's how second, that's what Second Kings is all about. Second Kings is about how Samaria, the northern kingdom, is taken into exile, and then all is left is the remnant of Judah, and they apostatize, and Second Kings ends with Judah being taken into exile. So this is pretty serious stuff. He and Elijah travel from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho on the other side of the Jordan, but it's interesting. Why should we be thinking about the conquest? Because when Joshua and Israel conquered the land, how did they get into the land? Joshua parted the Jordan River and Israel walked into the promised land on dry land. So God is being gracious. Remember, he loves to show mercy and judgment. And he's like, look, I'm warning you. I'm warning you. I'm going to to take you into exile, but remember, I'm still the God that can part the waters and make a way. Pretty cool stuff. Geography, very important in all the Bible. And along the way on this farewell tour, it seems like Elijah is testing his young disciple because he keeps telling him to stay, stay. Why? Because he doesn't like him anymore? No, he's testing his commitment to following the Word of God. He said, how badly do you want to remain loyal to the Lord? Listen, times of transition, as we're going to see in a moment, are times of testing. Are you going to remain loyal to the Lord? And so the sons of the prophets, they kind of seem like they're panicking because every place they stop, they, so, they, they kind of pull Elijah aside and they say, Elijah, do you know that Elijah's leaving? Are you concerned? Are you worried? And what does he keep telling them? Calm down. Be quiet. Stop panicking. It's okay. Don't distract me. I am staying focused on following. Elijah remains loyal. And he's following hard after Elijah, refusing to forsake him. And so here's the deal. As Elijah is going up, Elisha is stepping up. Or you could say stepping in. As one is going up, the other is stepping up. And here's the question. Here's the tension. Not only are we being abandoned by the guy that's like the powerhouse, but we don't know if the rookie has the same power and ability than the other than Elijah had. In other words, would God and his blessings be with him like they were with Elijah. So there's a lot of questions going on. The Word of God is, to, is leaving the promised land, being taken up, and what we're left with is His replacement. Now, if you've ever been through a transition at work, or at church, or in other areas of your life, you know these are the tensions. The regular guy that we know, you know, sometimes even, you know, the devil you know, they say, is better than the devil you don't know. You know, some, there's all sorts of issues when we're talking about these kind of transitions. And Elijah 
is now going to be the man of God who represents the word of God as the prophet of God, but he's replacing this towering figure. And so Elijah retraces their steps and returns with Elijah's mantle and a double portion of his spirit. So you got one that is leaving and you got one that is returning with his mantle. And the good news is Elijah retraces their steps from the other side of the Jordan after parting the waters. Ah uh-uh, ah indication. Hey, didn't Elijah just do that? Now his replacement's doing that. Ah God's power is still with us even in the transition. Isn't that good? And it means that even if God takes Israel into exile, and you've got to understand 2 Kings, Judah is reading 2 Kings while they're in exile in Babylon. They're reading this story and they're going, Ah, God can bring us back into the land. Okay, so that's fact number one. Fact number one is that Elijah's translation was a time of tension for God's people. And that tension was due to the second fact about Elijah's translation. And it's this. It was a time of transition for God's people. So it was a time of tension, but it was a time of tension because it was a time of transition for God's people. And I just want you to see three things here. In this transition. First of all, as godly as Elijah was, as a man of God, he was not indispensable. As as godly as he was, as a man of God, he was not indispensable. Why? Because he was a man and he wasn't God. Okay? Good thing to remember. In fact, his leaving is a part of the prophecy that we saw back in 1 Kings 19 where God said, look... Remember, Elijah said, I quit. This, this prophet stuff so hard. I, I, I just want to quit. And God said, first of all, you're a prophet. You don't get to quit. But second of all, I'm going to give three replacements to you. King a- uh, uh, Haziel from Aram, King uh, Jehu from Judah, but also I'm going to give a prophet replacement. You're going to go and Elijah is going to replace you. Well, we heard that in 1 Kings 19. Now it's coming true. Elijah's being taken away is a reminder that Elijah was not sinless and he was not indispensable to God's plan. Okay? Number two, as great as Elijah was as a prophet of God, he was not irreplaceable. As great as he was, as a prophet of God, I mean, probably no one was greater except Moses up to that time. But as great as he was as a prophet, he was not irreplaceable. Why? Because in 1 Kings 19, not only was he to anoint Elijah as his replacement, but in 1 Kings 19, he goes and he throws his mantle on Elijah as a farmer, And Elijah sacrifices his oxen, burns his yoke, and never looks back. Begins to follow Elijah, and he never, never looks back. The point is, he's being taken away as a reminder that Elijah is not the final mediator. He's not the final messenger for Israel. In fact, listen, 
Elijah is going to be twice as great as Elijah. But listen to this. There's a prophet greater than all of these men. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he is yet to come. And so no messenger of God is irreplaceable or indispensable. So when we go through transitions, and we do as God's people, and sometimes national religious leaders fall, sometimes they die. There's a whole generation of Bible expositors that are retiring and dying. And we can panic, but we got to understand that no man or woman is indispensable or irreplaceable. Jesus Christ is the greater one. And he's the one we have. So those are the two facts. In fact, this idea of Jesus Christ being the greater prophet, remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, these two great prophets, Moses and Elijah, show up with Jesus. And Peter gets all excited and like, man, let's have a Bible conference and just live here in the presence. And immediately God makes Elijah and Moses disappear. And only Jesus is standing there. And God from heaven, Father, God the Father from heaven says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Focus on him. Why? Because these other guys are not indispensable. They are not irreplaceable. So those are the two facts. Now, times of transition become times of tension because we get our focus on what's changing and not on the God who controls the change. Okay? So let's look at these three truths about times of transition. So we'll look at the first two, and then we'll get the third one next week. Truth number one is this. Transitions always test our loyalty to the Lord. Transitions always test our loyalty to the Lord. Now, here's the thing about this passage. We think the key to this passage is Elijah's taken up and the chariots and the horses and the fire and how is that and that's so cool and it pictures our future rapture and it does do those things. But the most important verse in this whole chapter is verse 14. It's verse 14. Look at what it says. Elijah took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said... Oh, man, I missed a whole point for you guys. I'm sorry. I screwed this whole thing up. Sorry, I missed that. Let's go back. Sorry about that. Let's go back. I don't do that often, but I did do it today. I was like, why am I already down here? I missed something. As glorious as Elijah's translation was, okay, as glorious as it was, the Lord's presence in the transition was more desirable. Okay, my whole key point. I screwed that up. As glorious as the... Trans- so so as, as godly as he was as a man, he wasn't indispensable. As great as he was as a prophet, he wasn't irreplaceable. And as glorious as this translation was, something was more desirable, desirable, and that was the presence of the Lord in the transition. That brings us to verse 14, and that is the key verse in this chapter. Because when it was all over, here's the thing that Elijah cared about most. Verse 14. Where is the Lord, 
the God of Elijah. Where is the Lord? He understood the transition has taken place. The translation up to heaven has taken place. I know where Elijah is at. I want to know where is the Lord, the God of Elijah. And don't forget, Elijah's name means Yahweh is my God. So he's saying, where is Yahweh, the God of Yahweh is my God? He's try- Listen, God's trying to get our attention and tell us that, yes, there's tension in the midst of transitions. But what matters most is where is the Lord in that transition? Are you with me now? Okay, I royally, royally messed that up. So, let's look at these three truths about transition. Truth number one, transitions always test our loyalty to the Lord. Why do we know that? We know that because of verse 14. We know that because of verse 14. Elijah's gone. But Elijah's God, is he still here? Transitions always test our loyalty to the Lord. So here comes the question. I don't know what your transition is this morning, but here's the question. Who do we trust more? Who do we trust more? The man of God or the God of the man? The man of God or the God of the man? Who do you trust more? This whole chapter is is a great lesson on leadership uh, transitions among the people of God. And we've been through that as a church, and we know that that it's a a tense time. It's a concerning time. It's an anxious time. But but listen, in this class, there's all sorts of transitions going. Jeremy was just telling me he's in a a job transition. We got housing transition. We got parenting transitions. We got all sorts, and they're spiritual transitions that you're being tempted by and in right now. And here's what I want you to understand. Think in your own general way, whatever transition I'm in, it's a test of my loyalty to the Lord. Now, any kind of transition is asking you this question. Who do you trust more? The Lord or the way things used to be? Do you trust the Lord or the way things used to be? Or do you trust the Lord or the way you want things to be in the future? This is, I'm telling you, this stuff just worked me over. It's so practical. So that's the number one truth. That's the first truth. Now, the thing is, None of us are sinless. None of us are perfect. And so there's four responses to transition. So let's look at the second truth. Transitions are times of testing for God's people. They're times of testing, and maybe you could even include testing and temptation. Transitions are times of testing and temptation. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time, is look at four responses to transitions. Three of them are wrong. One of them is the right response. Because here's the reality. The Lord uses transitions to test our loyalty to Him, above all others, while the enemy uses them to tempt us to question the Lord's loyalty to us. Do you see the difference? 
God allows transitions into our lives so to test us on our loyalty to Him. And the devil will use that same transition in your life to tempt you to question God's loyalty to us. So here's these four responses. And they're represented by the four key people in this passage. The sons of the prophets, the citizens of Jericho who will meet, the bullies of Bethel that we're going to meet, and Elijah the prophet. So let's look at this. The first response to transitions, the first test is this. We can be distant observers like the sons of the prophets. In times of transition... We can be distant observers like the sons of the prophets. Now, we already read up to verse 11. Let's keep reading to verses 12 through 18. Elijah saw it and cried out. He saw the translation. He saw the going up. My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and returned and stood at the bank of the Jordan. Now remember, well, let's keep reading. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and he struck the waters just as Elijah has done. And here's what he says. He strikes the waters and he says, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the waters, boom, they were divided, the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over in triumph, like Joshua and the Israelites had done so many years before. Now, verse 15, Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him saw him, remember, they had stood at a distance and observed all this. They were distant observers. Here's what they said. They said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elijah. Why? Because he just parted the waters like Elijah had done. And they came to meet him, and notice, they bowed themselves to the ground before him. They're acknowledging, look, you're the guy now. You're the man. You're the man. But notice the very next thing they do after they they get up from bowing down, and they said to him, behold. Now, this isn't a God behold. This is them. Behold now. There are with your servants 50 strong men. Remember, there's that idea of 50 strong men. Please let them go and search for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him on some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send. You shall not go. But when they urged him until he was ashamed, he said, send, go. And they sent, therefore, 50 men, and they searched for three days, which in the Bible is like that that time of completion. You know, it is not going to happen. They did not find him. Verse 18, they returned to him while he was staying at Jericho, and he said to them, I love this. Did I not say to you, do not go? Did I, didn't you guys acknowledge me as the prophet of the Lord? Didn't you acknowledge me as the man who now embodies the word of God? Didn't I tell you not to go? Yeah, but we went anyway. You know why? 
because they're distant observers who are taking a wait-and-see approach and a bring-back-the-past mentality. That's what happens in times of transition, even among God's people. You see, remember, the sons of the prophets are part of that elect remnant. These are the good guys. But remember, in this chapter, we're learning, and we learn from Elijah's life, that even prophets are not sinless, okay? They are not the ultimate answer. And in this case, they get it wrong. And here's how they get it wrong. They become distant observers, and they do two things. First of all, they take a wait-and-see approach. They take a wait-and-see approach. They stand at a distance. Listen, folks, when you're in transition, it is easy to say, I'm not going to commit to the Lord. I'm not going to commit to His Word. I'm going to stand back and see how this turns out before I commit. Are you with me? We've been through transitions. There's people that do that. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be all in until I see how it comes out. And that's what these guys did. They stood at a distance. See, many people take a wait-and-see approach in times of transition, and they fail to commit fully to following the Lord, regardless of how it turns out, regardless of the cost. I'm afraid to step out in obedience. Elijah was not that way. He said, I am with you all the way, Elijah. And these guys said, no, we're going to stay over here and and analyze it. We're going to wait. And not commit to the Lord until we see how it turns out. Have you ever done that with the Lord? You ever stood back? I'll wait, Lord. I'll wait. Here's the danger in taking a wait-and-see approach to transitions. You can end up seeking to bring back the past. You can end up seeking to bring back the past. It's interesting. These guys with the wait-and-see approach... They acknowledge Elijah, and then they get up from bowing down and saying, you're the prophet now. Now, let's go find Elijah. Let's go bring him back. And he says, no, that time's over. Yeah, I know, I know, I know you're the leader now, but let's go find the other guy. I'm telling you, folks, a lot of God's people live in the past. A lot of God's people are longing to bring back the past rather than trusting and committing and walking with the Lord into the future. Now, did these guys think Elijah was still alive? I don't know. Did they think he had died and his body was somewhere? I don't know. But the point is, they're looking back instead of listening to the man of God with the word of God in the present. Interesting. And Elijah had to tell him, I told you so. I told you not to go. There's been a transition. Well, why do we need to be careful about being distant observers? Because there's a second response in this story. We can be selfish consumers like the citizens of Jericho. We can be selfish consumers like the citizens of Jericho. Let's keep reading the story. Look at verse 19. Then the men of the city said to Elijah. Remember, he's in Jericho now. 
He's crossed back. He's in the promised land. Behold now. Again, another behold, but not of God, a behold of men. Behold now. The situation of the city is pleasant as my Lord sees. Jericho is a beautiful city. It's a wonderful city. Everybody wants to move to Jericho. It's the number one place to live in Samaria. But the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. Well, we, we have cities in America that are like that. It's not good to live in a city. It don't matter how beautiful the city is. If the water's bad, it's bad. And how bad was this water? Well, some obviously it says the land is unfruitful. So you watered the land and it wouldn't grow crops. But I think there's more in this. Some Bible scholars say the unfruitfulness is not just in the land. There was death in the water. It was causing miscarriages of the animals and of the women. This land is not fruitful. And yet they were in Jericho, in the promised land. This was supposed to be a place of milk and honey, of fruitfulness, of blessing. But why is Jericho a, land, a city of cursing? Well, remember... Joshua had destroyed the city and put a curse on the city and said nobody will rebuild this city. And yet under King Ahab in 1 Kings 16, we saw that he allowed the city to be rebuilt because King Ahab was into building things and into worldly things. And it was built and it was cursed. Two men died in the building of the city. Well, here we see this city is still cursed. And look, at and they're saying, oh, look how beautiful it is. We're so comfortable here. It's so nice here. Chris and Otter ought to buy a house here. It's so wonderful. It's a wonderful city. There's only one problem with the water. Don't drink it. It'll, your animals won't give birth and your women will miscarriage. So they hear about Elijah, the new guy, the new prophet. The new man of God and the men of the city said to Elijah, Behold now, the situation of the city is pleasant. My Lord sees it, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. And in God's grace, verse 20, Elijah says, Bring me a new jar and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. And he went out to the spring of water and he threw salt in it. And you're like, wait a minute. Why would you throw salt to purify water? That doesn't purify water. Ah, I think the reason, we're not told in the text, but I think the reason is when you go back into Leviticus and the worship of the Lord, every sacrifice to the Lord included a pinch of salt as a reminder of God's faithfulness. I think God is saying to this people, your problem is not the water you're drinking, it's the God you're not worshiping. And so he pours it into the spring and thus, and here's what he says, thus says the Lord. It's not the physical water, it's the spiritual water of God's word that you need. Thus says the Lord, I have purified these waters and there shall not be from there death or unfruitfulness any longer. Now, why, what, what are we supposed to get out of this? Well, here's the idea. These people just wanted better water not better worship. They didn't want the word of God, the water of God's word. They wanted physical. Here's the two wrong responses of selfish consumers. Wanting the Lord's blessing more than the Lord himself. Wanting the Lord's blessing more than the Lord 
himself. They don't care about the Lord. They don't even mention the Lord. And they don't care that Elijah is a man of God. They don't mention any of that. They just go, hey, you got powers and we got a problem. Bring blessing. See, some people want transition to bring more blessing and not to have more of God in their life. And that's why we don't understand transitions. Because God wants transitions to bring more of Him to you, not necessarily a comfortable, easy life. And here's what happens. These men of this city fail to see transitions as opportunities to draw closer to the Lord. Isn't that good stuff? You say, God, why are you bringing this transition? Because I want you to have more of me and not just my blessings. Why is this transition leading into harder times? Because it's an opportunity to draw closer to me. Isn't that good? The citizens of Jericho loved their comfortable lives and they loved their worldly city and they wanted blessings from God, but they didn't really want God. And that happens a lot in transitions. But here's the thing about selfish consumers. If you're not careful, we can become hardened scoffers. We can become hardened scoffers like the young men of Bethel. So here's the third negative response to transitions. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 23 through 24. One of the hardest wrath passages in the Old Testament. Then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up by the way, young lads came out from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, which is the same word for being taken up by Elijah. Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. So things haven't changed. People still make fun of bald people. You know, I'm sorry. I hate to tell you that, but it's true. Verse 24. When he looked behind him and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 of the lads of their number. Whoa. Man. First, first lesson is don't make fun of bald-headed prophets of God. Okay. What do you do with this? Well, we'll talk about this next week. But let me, let me just say this. Here's what I want you to see. These guys, even though the King James, unfortunately, the King James Bible added to this problem by translating this as young children, as little kids. So it looks like this prophet, God and his prophet, are tearing apart little children who are on the playground calling names to this old bald-headed guy, and he's grumpy and God's really grumpy, and they tear him apart. Okay, but the reality is these are young men. We'll talk about it next week. Here's what I want you to see, though. That these guys are hardened scoffers. They're, they're apostates like Ahab. Here's the bottom line. They've rejected God, so it doesn't matter who the prophet is. They're just rejecting God and His purposes. Two wrong responses. Mocking the outcome having already fallen away from the Lord. 
hardened scoffers will mock the outcome of a transition because they've already fallen away from God. They don't care who the new boss is, the new pastor is, the new missionary, the, the, the new circumstances. They don't care because they've already rejected God. And then number two, rejecting the Lord, they have paid the consequences. In rejecting the Lord, they pay the consequences. And you're like, whoa, that's a crazy passage. It is. So here's what we'll do. We'll have Elijah's, we'll look at Elijah's right response next week. And we'll look at this whole scenario of tearing apart. Is it 42 little boys that had a bad day in the schoolyard? Or are these young men who are servants of Baal and they've rejected God and they've rejected God's man coming back into their city and they're paying the consequences. Wow. All right? So here's the deal I want to leave you with. On your transitions. Transitions are times of tension because we don't know what God's doing. But here's what we know. God is still on His throne and we don't want these bad responses. You don't want to be a distant observer that takes a wait and see and I wish things were the way they used to be. You don't want to be a, a selfish consumer. Well, God, it's okay if things change as long as they get better. As long as I get an easier, more comfortable way of life, then I'll follow you. And you really don't want to be like these young men. You don't want to be hardened to what God's doing in your life. Now, I don't think there's apostates sitting here in our class. But we can be self-deceived. And we can think we're following the Lord when in fact we kind of have a hard heart to what God's wanting to do to test our loyalty to Him. And we see things that we may have choices to make that may cause a transition. They may cause a time of testing. And we want to avoid that. We want to hold back from that. We want to be, as we're going to see next week, we want to be like Elijah. And we want to stick close to God and His Word. No matter what the cost, even in the worst of times. Let's go to the Lord. Let's pray about our transitions and our responses to Him. Father, we thank You that we can come to Your Word like this. What a powerful passage. A reminder that life is full of transitions. And as I've prayed for this class, as I've prayed for this lesson, Lord, thinking through so many different transitions could be taking place. Some I know about, some I don't know about. All of them you know about. And Father, I pray that we would pass the test of loyalty, knowing that, Lord Jesus, you are more than worthy. Father, I pray that we won't be half-hearted in our commitment. I pray, Lord, that we won't be consumers of Christianity. I pray, Lord, that we won't harden our hearts in the midst of our transitions. Father, may we ask like Elijah, where are you, Lord? And may we answer, we know that Jesus is the Lord. He is risen and seated 
He sits on the throne in the midst of our transitions. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, be encouraged this week as you follow the Lord.